everything becomes a bit more efficient. I just keep going back to the example of, you know, they say, you know, oh, we need to track these 12 new pages and here are the page names and page types that we want for each of them. And we take that very literally and we take it to the devs and, and they put in all those page names and page types. But it turns out that the proposed page names and page types are slightly different from what was already in the CMS. Like they could have already used something that was built in, but they went in and did a lot of extra work to do the custom things because that's what was asked of them. And they're not used to going back to the analyst and saying, hey, would this that gets the same point across value that already exists and would save us a lot of effort and reduce points of failure? Um, would that be okay with you? Because usually the analyst would say, yeah, it's it's an arbitrary page name or page type, or whatever, if, if having it named home is more easy than having it be named landing or something like that. You know, there's... Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. What have you two got going on? There's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So many meetings and um, have to go OTF tonight, my eighth one for the month or else I'm not going to, I have to get eight in each month and tonight's my last chance because I can't tomorrow because you have kickball. So wait, what? Uh, Orange three fitness. I have to go to the gym uh, tonight. Like, and that's, that's always what, like I, I have to I have to work myself up to it every time. I I still hate it so much. I mean it <laughs> it's good compared to all other gyms I've done. I just I, I hate exercise. I just I'm not it. I'm not a gym person. No, I am not a gym person. But unfortunately, I was not a gym person for so long that I became not a healthy person. And um, yeah, I got tired of getting winded climbing the stairs. So. Understood. Yeah. I've been trying to do the bike, um, which I, I, I'm really good at streaks. Like sometimes I'll go almost 20 days in a row and then I'll hit like either physically or mentally. I'm like, ah, I just can't do it anymore. And then it's like, once I lose the streak, I'm like, yeah, what's taking like 14 days off. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So. Yep. I get the same problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I did the oh, group fitness. I get on the CrossFit. Um, thing for for a few years and it was good but then with the kiddo like it just got harder and especially after suzanne went back to work to get up get to the gym get home so she could go and so i got out of that routine i'm back into the workout at home routine which i've been in a pretty good um pretty good routine for for the last couple of months it's it's been feeling good but uh i i'm really trying to to get better at it I'm um, not going to lie. I've been eating my feelings the last couple of months <laughs> and I am in no re- ways ready for summer or just, you know, any kind of physical activity. So I'm trying to really get back in, you know, just, just in, just in shape, the shape I was yeah. in, yeah. you know, prior to last year. Yep. I feel you. It's that time. Mm-hmm. 
But um, I actually think that gives me a good segue for our topic today. All right. Um, and and that was not planned. It just happened. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. So um, last week, Jason, you weren't able to join us. Um, Jen and I kicked off a series, getting back into the nuts and bolts of analytics implementations and data collection strategy and architecture. It's something we haven't talked about in in a while. Um, so we 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 kicked it off last week. This week, I want to dig in and talk about what do we see as the keys to a solid implementation? And I, I can see this going multiple ways. There are the things that you can consider tangible, like solid requirements documentation, we can get that. Things that are broader, like you know, buy-in at various points in the organization. But, um, but yeah, focusing on data collection architecture, analytics implementation, um, like you need a solid implementation if you want to do well elsewhere, it, it, it seems quite obvious. So that, that's where I see the segue with the fitness thing now, talking about just having a good fitness routine to feel better in a, other aspects of life, um, having a solid analytics implementation, a solid data collection architecture. We, did, you know, we know the benefits there of having reliable data that they could be used in various ways and whatnot. So that's really where I saw the segue. So, um, yeah, let, let, let's just go ahead and dig in. And what do we see as you know the keys to having a solid implementation? And by Jen, the way, is the Amazon Jen, guy there? Yeah, Jen's gonna have to. It's funny. I think my dog is hearing the barking through my headset and is looking up, all freaked out. So um, you might hear her bark in response. Oh, that's um, funny. Well, in the uh, in the invite for this, actually, you said you know. Uh, what are the keys to a solid implementation? Let's see. Implementation is often pitched as just do X, Y, Z, and you're all set. And and that right there, you're all set, was uh, really stood out to me because I think that's the perhaps one of the bigger problems that folks counter encounter out there in their implementations is thinking that you're ever all set and done. <laughs> um, there will never be a time where you're... Uh, implementation is done and you can wipe your hands of it and, and move on. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because, you know, your site's certainly not going to just be set and never change. Um, and hopefully the questions you're asking about it aren't ever going to be set and never change. So to me, that's one of the biggest things is just acknowledging that an implementation is going to be a constant uh, maintenance rather than a just, you know, set it and forget it or anything like that. Which kind of makes it leads me into the the next thing I wanted to to say is important for a healthy implementation. Um, I'd say auditing your your solution regularly. And most folks, when they hear audit, they think scanning the site, making sure that your data quality is correct, and and um, you know observe point type of stuff. And that is valuable and important. But I'm actually talking about um, auditing your solution, like your solution design of are we still using this variable? Are we putting a lot of effort into maintaining this variable that no one has reported on for months? Um, or, you know, just looking through and seeing, oh, hey, that variable hasn't been getting data for a really long time. So I think folks that can do that quarterly and just kind of go through their reports, and it's a 
manual process. There's the Adobe Health Dashboard, which helps if you can get it to work on your machine. But I've ended up just manually going through report by report and um, have an extra column in my solution design, uh, variable map, spreadsheets that says, you know, this is the last time that we validated the health of this and that it's still in use. And um, if, if no one has used it or cared about it in a long time, we might not even necessarily retire it, but I am gonna push to not put effort into maintaining it because a lot of the time we see that a, re a report isn't working and we throw resources at it and then afterwards we're like, oh yeah, no one's going to use that report or no one was using it. It's just, we don't like having a broken thing. So we end up focusing on, on fixing a lot of smaller broken things rather than looking at the important things that we should be paying attention to. It's a, it's a really good point. It's a good segue into one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot from a data perspective in that I, I think there are two worlds that have to be addressed and and both of them um have a implication on the underlying implementation one unfortunately i think heavier than the other so one is the real world and the real world is what are the what are the few things that we need to truly understand to understand our customers to understand the health of our digital property um you know they these things all usually don't get all the attention, but they're the things that make using analytics drive a business. And if you think about the companies that you've worked with over, uh, you know, a decade plus of, of working with different brands, how, what percentage of them would you say was really using the bulk of the data they're collecting versus so much data implementations that are so broken that they aren't even really using it? And That's so a sad, sad question. It, it, it is. <laughs> but right? I hate thinking about the answer. It's so demoralizing. It, it, uh. it, it is demoralizing. And <sighs> I think a big part of it is driven by world number two, which is the illusion of what you are doing. And I and, and we can't um, we can't write it off because it's it's clear that so many executives and 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 even those working in analytics um, are are being asked to address either by themselves or someone else, the illusion of what we're doing. And that is that we always have to be in a state of doing something bigger and better than what quote we're currently doing. Uh, we definitely have to be doing something that everyone else is talking about. And that's why you get into these conversations about, well, yeah, we're looking about wiring our CDP into a lake house on the lake shore with the uh, ocean <laughs> mart. Um, and we're going to get that done this year. I'm like, what, what does that even mean? Like, you guys can't even tell me how many people came to your site last week. Well, what are you talking about? But they have to keep up the illusion that the data analytics portion of their business is getting more and more mature. And I think that that's the unfortunate part is because of that need for always doing more overrides the need to do less but better and mm -hmm. so we instrument more we integrate more and it all sounds really great and you know it's like yes if all this can work it really would be amazing um and then it doesn't and then it degrades the implementation you have all this data that isn't usable and then you go and you say okay we want to ask just the very basic of questions and people kind of shrug their shoulders like yeah we can't do that 
When I, I take that a step further, um, you know, you say in your example, you, you guys can't even tell me how many visits you had last month. To me, it's maybe you do know how many visits you have that last month, but you're currently not using that knowledge in any great way. So yeah, I mean, maybe you could properly set up your bigger data management platforms and, and fancy integrations and all of that, and even get them working, uh, you know, for a time because everything takes maintenance. But if you're currently not getting enough value out of the implementation you have, often the, the answer isn't throw more, more resources at more tools. It's figure out what's broken in your processes that make, makes it so you're not getting value out of the tools you have. Because if, if you're not getting value out of your current analytics, you're probably not going to get value out of um, something bigger and complicated that takes a lot more effort to maintain. Yeah. And, and I think that, that that is the key word maintain um is that we haven't learned our lesson that when you buying something is one thing but maintaining it is something else you know you may be able to get the money together and get the financing to buy a twelve thousand square foot house but the next question is can you maintain it like not only can we keep it, keep it clean, but now we have to run like probably two or three separate air conditioners and this really complicated irrigation system outside. And it probably has three kitchens. Now we have three dishwashers to like, so buying it is one thing. Maintaining it is something completely different. And I think our, our eyes get really big when we see the big fancy house that we want to buy. And we, we don't think about the actual costs and what it's going to take to maintain it. And so we say, yes, I want that. That's going to give us everything we want. We buy the house. We're like, damn, this is a lot of work to keep this maintained. And so sometimes, oftentimes we don't, we don't maintain it. And then when you don't maintain things, it, it quickly falls, falls apart, especially in digital where things are moving so quickly and digital properties are changing you know, if you don't maintain an implementation three to six months, it could be drastically deteriorated in just that little amount of time. So I think it is such an important conversation that isn't had. And again, one of the compounding problems is we have these incredibly small teams that we're asking to own these gigantic implementations and we're asking them to add more and more, which means theoretically more and more maintenance, but the size of the team stays the same. And something has to give at, at some point. Yeah, I love the maintenance thing. So I, I, I want to dig into that for, for, for a second. Because, Jason, you bring that up, and I can think of so many conversations I've had in the last six months. And even going back even further, and the lack of desire to to want to maintain it. Because, I mean, there's glory you know, on an implementer side to, oh, we deployed this new dimension, this new custom metric for this click on the website. But there's there's no glory in going through and saying, hey, we corrected three wrong things that we found. Or there was a change on the website and nobody noticed this one metric went to skew. We went in and fixed it. Or, uh, or, or, or there's no glory in just there being nothing to fix, right? Which yeah, is the right. ultimate state of... We are being so proactive in our maintenance that we don't have to fix things. And, you know, for, for me, I, I quite enjoy maintenance. I have, a, I have a hot tub and I have this routine with where every Saturday I do a maintenance and then every fourth Saturday I do another maintenance. And 
from the outside, it's like, yeah, not a lot of ha- is happening there. It doesn't look as like, as, uh, flexing as much work as, oh, Jason drained the entire hot tub and scrubbed it down and got all the ickies out of it and refilled it and rebalanced the water. It's like, well, I didn't have to do that because I did these little things every Saturday and it kind of went a long way, but it doesn't, it doesn't go note on, it doesn't go noticed. And I think I may have shared Jim on a previous episode, uh, my experience when I was working early in my career in, in IT, um, you know, IT is such an organization that is ripe for being the, the heroes of fixing the things. And, um, because of that, I think we were being told that, you know, don't do maintenance because when stuff breaks, we get to jump in and fix it and be the heroes. And so, you know, that started happening more, more and more. And there was actually one case and we talked about it in the case of firefighters setting fires. Um, There was one case where a a guy on our team actually went in and broke something so he could then go in and fix it. (laughs) You know, that's crazy. It is crazy to think about, but it happens. So. Whereas to me, and maybe, maybe I've just had too many recent experiences, so this is on my mind. So back to the example of the 12,000 foot house, um, that folks often get a lot of things set up. And it is important to maintain stuff, but it's important to maintain the stuff that's being used. Um, I, I think I have a little bit of bitterness, perhaps, because so much of the time, um, you know, it, a team, let, let's say they have someone who does regular QA. Fantastic, except that person is separated from the person doing analysis. So QA person spots that EVAR 75 isn't firing on this particular link, creates a JIRA ticket, it's added to the backlog, and, and we work on it. And it becomes a whole big thing, and um, you know maybe it's harder to fix than we thought it would be and whatever. And so a whole lot of effort goes in on the developer and implementation side of things to get that EVAR 75 fixed. And then you go back to the analyst and tell them it's fixed, and they say, "Oh yeah, no, we don't, we don't use that." That <laughs> um, I, I think making sure that that the data you are working on and maintaining, or perhaps including as part of the maintenance, is the use of the data, making sure that um, you're not collecting things for the sake of collecting things and maintaining things for the sake of maintaining. So, things. how much do you think that is a byproduct of not aligning with what the the stakeholders or consumers of the data feel is worthwhile versus maybe it was worthwhile at some point in time, right, but yeah. because of lack of maintenance or whatever, now the data is so messy that they don't want to look at it. Um, probably a little of both. And I, and I do suspect that most things that get implemented did at one time make sense and somebody thought that they'd get value out of it. Um, and then maybe they get the data and they realize that maybe it's not as insightful as they wanted, or they leave the company and the next person doesn't know what to do with the data. Um, yeah, I, I certainly do think that that happens. I think some of it too, is just, it's hard to prioritize data. Um, you know, it's, we, when I, a long time ago, and I was working for um, McDonald's, actually, they had a, a whole bunch of QA and, and auditing processes, and it was fabulous. We had this monstrous spreadsheet that could tell you every single touch point and uh, um, the, the quality of the data there and all of that. It was great. Um, but uh, if we prioritize and said page views, page views is very important. If page views is broken anywhere, you know, that is something we have to prioritize and fix. 
And it gets so much more complicated if you go in there and say, okay, page views on confirmation page is important. Page views on this other page, okay, that one might not be working right now, but that's because nothing on the site links to it and it doesn't get any traffic and we don't need to bother fixing it. Even though we said page views is important. You know, it's that kind of thing of, it's all so interconnected that um, getting, I think really the only answer is getting the analysis and insight and value getting this <laughs> um, more connected to the implementation so that that prioritization can happen. Yes, I, I, I couldn't agree more. So so two, two follow-ups to that. One, I think that is such an important component that if companies aren't doing, they should drop everything they're doing right now and think about how they can make that work and that we see analysis as separate from the data collection and we see data collection mm -hmm. separate from the analysis. And it, it's simply not, they're so tightly coupled together that for those two components to be broken apart is, is a recipe for disaster. And in, in our industry, we, we do typically break those up into separate roles. When, when you look at other components of, of analytics, whether it's data science or other business analytics, oftentimes those are very coupled together and sometimes even the same person that is capturing the data and analyzing the data. Um, but for, for the space that we work in, it, it's often very different roles. And not only very different roles, um, different people with completely different skill sets that mm -hmm. often don't talk together. And in some companies, these are completely separate teams that roll up through completely separate leadership. Um, and I think it just makes it incredibly difficult to have a strong implementation. And I think it makes it incredibly difficult to drive really meaningful insights from the data without those two pieces working tightly together. So if you have kind of the traditional in our space, implementer, architect, analyst, reporter, fill in the blank, um, and they're not working together through the entire process, both implementation and analysis, that that needs to be um, fixed. The second part of it is, um, as an as an implementer, an architect, someone in a more technical analytics role, do, do you feel like maybe there's a lack of pride in the work that we do? Or do you think that there's been so much defeat in, in being put in no-win situations that we've kind of given up? Because to me, and I'll give you a really maybe a, an outlier of an example, but maybe, I don't think it is, um, was working with a company that had an incredibly heavy, large implementation. I spent many, many hours pulling apart um, one of their purchase flows. And I sat down with the um, key stakeholders and I said, you know, I have some, some really bad news. You know, the data that you've been reporting on, the decisions you've been making, are just absolutely wrong this the implementation through this flow is is absolutely broken and and they said no no it's okay and i said, and I said what what oh yeah no we don't we don't use that data anyway and as a as an implementer like i would take that that personally that it's like wait a minute like this is my entire job i'm putting this in place and you're just kind of brushing it off and eh, we don't use that anyway so again my question jim and and jen is how much of that is that maybe we're not taking the level of pride that we should have in our job that it's it's not just collecting the data, it's actually unlocking what we're going to use that data for or 
have we been again put in these really difficult situations to succeed so often that we've just kind of given up caring as much as a protective measure it's like man we've been beat up doing this so much just we'll we'll get the data in and we're going to call it a day i think that at least on the the pride side of things i think it comes back to that bifurcation of of roles of um you know, I, I can be proud in the data that I set up and then it's completely demoralizing to go to the analysts and have them be like, oh yeah, no, we're not using that. Um, and it almost goes to the wrong extreme of if you tell me that a data set is slightly broken and you need to answer a particular question, I love diving in and solving those problems. Just like I love when a data layer is broken and I get to go scrape stuff out of the DOM because it's a fun challenge. And at the end I can be like, ha I worked with what you gave me and I made it work and look at me. And like, those are really validating and, and proud moments for me, but it's totally not the way you should do things. <laughs> it should not be about me getting to show off my cleverness and, you know, me uh, working with the limited, incorrect, broken set of stuff that we currently have. It should be fixing it so that it doesn't get that broken to begin with. And we don't have to use crazy workarounds to, you know, answer questions and things like that. Yeah. And I think that that goes back to kind of the earlier discussion is, is that um, if we treat our job as kind of, if, or no, let me, let me put it a different way. If, if the feedback that we're getting is as a first responder, that's fixing problems, it, it kind of takes away um, our desire to maintain a strong implementation. And so I guess I'm, I'm kind of speaking to the business owners and the analysts and the users of data that, you know, not, not that, not that implementers and architects need constant coddling and pats on the back, but if we're only telling them they're doing a good job when, you know, it's Jen, it's that case where it's like, oh, we have to be really creative because this is fundamentally broken and we're going to do all this crazy stuff and get you where we want. We feel good because we got it done. I think we also need to feel good about that not having to happen. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think that that's part of it is we all like to be recognized for doing a good job. Um, and, and again, this gap of the fact that if we, if we do it right and, and build something that's very stable and maintainable, we, we often don't get that pat on the back because yeah. we're never put in that position to quote, save the day when right. really we have a lot, you know, and I think we need to thank those people that are keeping everything running with, without it breaking down that that should be celebrated. And sometimes it's just a matter of not even turning around and saying, you know, Hey Jen, you did a really good job of setting this up and preventing headaches and everything's gone so smoothly. Like, yes, I like hearing that. Sure. But even just saying, hey, Jen, here's the report that we presented and the insight we got out of the data you saw. You might be surprised how rarely the implementers and, and devs and all of that uh, get to see stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so merely including them in the value-getting side of things and letting them see the end result um, can, can add a lot to that validation. Agreed. And and it can also help to make for a better implementation because yes, if you're absolutely. sharing how yep. the data is being used, then as an implementer, I can think more strategically and more from a business perspective yep. of how I'm collecting that data. It's, it's, it's a win-win all around. And I meant to say something um, earlier about that too. Of, odds are you will have people making development decisions that affect your data layer and therefore your analytics 
who are never going to be actively doing insight and analysis and all of that. So there, there is always going to be a bit of a split there where the, the folks who are implementing may not, uh, will always be in a separate role from the analysts. But if you can at least do a little bit of cross-training, uh, sometimes even just showing them, hey, here's what we say when we mean data layer, because you know, I'll walk you through what I set up in launch so you can see why it matters that you set this attribute the way that you do. Or you can see that this attribute, I just need it to be intuitively named. And it doesn't matter if you follow the naming system I gave you or not. Like so many things like that, that just having a conversation, it, this is going to sound horrible, but assuming intelligence and interest in the developers, because um, frequently they're just, you know, they're automatons. You give them a JIRA ticket and, and they do it. But often you can bring them in and say, hey, here is how we are using this. Maybe you can use some of your intelligence to uh, help us do it better in a way that makes sense or uh, more efficient at bare minimum. Yeah, I think that I think that that's a, a great point. And I also think it's a good argument for whether you're working with an outside agency or an internal mm -hmm. development team um, to to recognize that there is a huge value gap between handing someone a Jira ticket and saying, go collect this data and handing someone a request saying, partner with us to figure out how to correct the right data that we're going to be able mm -hmm. to action to do X. And I think oftentimes those two get lumped together into the same thing and, and they're simply not. And, right. and I think it's important that we recognize that. Yep. Yep. And, and to be fair, I, I talked about showing them how it all connects together and launch, but also showing them how it looks and analytics and stuff. I, I think it's important not to train them on it, not to expect them to use it perhaps, but at least give them visibility into how their part of the process affects every other part of the process. Can make a big difference. Yeah, it, it's it's getting that that buy-in from those those other teams that yeah aren't going to use it regularly, but then they see the value. They, you know, they mm -hmm. see the value of what you're asking for. They they see the value of the work that goes into it. So when you put a request in to to change something, add something, fix something, it's not just disregarded as oh it's data collection. Which yeah. Jen, you and I talked a bit last week about this, where a lot of times in organizations collecting data for analytics and marketing it's it's seen as secondary right it's and and I, I always you know give the caveat that yes if you can't process a transaction and check out that is definitely more important but beyond that this is often seen as secondary it's seen as extra so if you can get that the the buy-in to use a cliche from product from development mm -hmm. um, that this is important. Yeah. It, and doing exactly what, what you laid out there, you know, get you to that point where they, they will, you know, prioritize your requests. Uh, that's mm -hmm. one of the things I found. And it does go the other way too, of helping your analysts know what it is the developers do. And yes, they, they don't need to be trained on launch perhaps. They don't definitely don't need to be trained on JavaScript and, you know, your, all of the, the stuff that goes into creating the data layer. But if they at least see what that part of the process looks like, then they can ask more intelligent questions and um, everything becomes a bit more efficient. I just keep going back to the example of, you know, they say, you know, oh, we need to track these 12 new pages and here are the page names and page types that we want for each of them. 
and we take that very literally and we take it to the devs and, and they put in all those page names and page types. But it turns out that the proposed page names and page types are slightly different from what was already in the CMS. Like they could have already used something that was built in, but they went in and did a lot of extra work to do the custom things because that's what was asked of them. And they're not used to going back to the analyst and saying, hey, would this that gets the same point across value that already exists and would save us a lot of effort and reduce points of failure, um, would that be okay with you? Because usually the analyst would say, yeah, it's it's an arbitrary page name or page type, whatever, if, if having it named home is more easy than having it be named landing or something like that. You know, there's having that communication both ways, um, uh, being open is really important, which actually is the, the last thing I really wanted to get at is just for a good implementation, communication processes is like the biggest thing. Yeah. And that's, that's communication within the analytics team and the folks building the data layer, like I just talked about, but also it's so, so, so key and important to have communication between the analytics folks and the product folks and um, between analytics and obviously marketing, which is, I think, the, the more obvious one. Um, and better yet, communication between analytics and leadership. Um, you know, like not just handing them off the dashboard because they want to check the box that says that they have analytics in place and they uh, want to double check over our shoulders that things are, are going right. But to actually say, hey, uh, you guys are making decisions about what's happening next quarter. We have data that might help you make those decisions. Um, can we maybe set up some sort of actual process, relationship, cadence, whatever, um, that, that makes it so the data can be more useful? <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's, such a, it's such a strong point. And I, and, and I agree, you know, analytics, the role of analytics analytics implementer is is kind of like a product manager we we have so many different people that we need to work together with and make sure that we're aligning all of these pieces that communication and and how we design those things is oftentimes way more complicated um, and way more important than the javascript or the actual mm -hmm. wiring data point from a to b um, but it often gets overlooked and i'm and i'm glad you brought up the, the executive leadership function, um, that's one I learned the hard way. When, when I was client side, brand new, I, I wanted to get in right away and just let's just collect data and do stuff and was really happy and excited about doing it. And, and I remember the first time that I sat down with our leadership team to start talking about some of the new insights that we're going to be able to report on. Less than five minutes into the meeting, I think the CEO said something like, but Jason, that's not how we look at this data. You know, you know, you made a lot of a lot of assumptions that just don't align with how we view the data for our business, and we have to go back and redo that now. And I'm like, I felt stupid. Mm -hmm. I felt, you know, but it was a good lesson. It's like, okay, well, I don't know everything about how this business works and how they think about the data. And then when you get to be like a public company, there's certain ways they look at data because they, you know, have quarterly earnings calls and they need consistency and how these numbers are reported. And, and so, you know, there's a lot that can be learned and that we need to think about from a, well, how does the business actually look at this data? Cause we probably have some ideas. The product manager probably has some ideas. I'm sure the dev team has some different ideas. Um, but if we're if we're talking about these numbers at a company level, and especially if we're exposing numbers externally to shareholders or others, it's important that we're we're doing it in such a way that aligns with how the company 
views how views the data that, that we're collecting and presenting to them. Man, I'm so jaded because I hear that and I just think, I'd just be excited to get them using the data, much less find out how they are using the data. Um, but I mean, it, it ultimately comes down to the same thing, though, of, of having that communication and making sure they know what they have available to them. Um, and then you can know how they want to use it, you know? Yeah. One of the other points that you brought up that I think is is such a good exercise is to sit down with your dev teams, especially if you can identify individuals. And I guarantee you every company has at least one because doing this for 20 years, I haven't found a company yet that doesn't have a dev that is hyper interested in analytics. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, just spending a little bit of time saying, hey, I know where I'm throwing all these tickets over the wall to ask you to do X, Y, and Z. Do you have 30 minutes we can sit down? I'd love to show you what we're collecting it, how we're collecting it. And not only that, I want to show you how the business is using it to report on, you know, how people are using our mobile app or our website. And it, it creates such a huge value opportunity yeah. within the business to do that. Not only do you strengthen that relationship and now you have a really strong advocate in, in the development function, but oftentimes if you're open to it, they can be providing incredible feedback to you. And I, again, back on the client side, I had that happen where the devs would come to me and said, Hey, I know you're asking for it like X, but kind of X plus one plus like, if we just tweak it a little bit, it's going to be so much better for what I think is there, you know, is being asked. Does that make sense? Or sometimes they'll come back and say, Hey, you're not even asking for this, but you know, I want to let you know, we have visibility into these things. Would that be interesting to you? And so I just think there's a huge upside into investing in that relationship with your dev team to make sure that it's not just tossing stuff over and they have no clue why they're pushing a into slot B of the data layer, but just taking that little bit of time to say, here's why this data is meaningful and how the business is using it can be incredibly valuable. Yep. I agree. Like if there, if anyone could have any single takeaway from all of this, that would be my recommendation. <laughs> it's just have a, that those conversations um, with your devs and, connect those dots because um, not only can they, you know, proactively suggest, you know, better or different ways of doing things, but it can also help analytics not fall through the cracks and be mm -hmm. forgotten and be left out of conversations. You That's know, right. if, if they're working on a new site feature and they see that there's not any analytics on it and they can reach out and say, Hey, do you know about this thing? Um, you know, I've seen that happen multiple times where we wouldn't have known about it otherwise. So, cause yeah, communication breakdowns. Yeah, that, that, that is absolutely right. And I think companies that have figured it out have really hit a, a really good stride in that. I think, you know, we're no longer working with them, but but Princess Cruise Lines, I think mm -hmm. with what they've been able to have in place and Ryan is kind of that, that developer advocate that understands both sides of the fence has been, I mean, I think that's an incredibly oh, yeah. good model to follow where like it just worked. It works so beautifully well. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree. Man, you get Jason and I together in gym. You've been so quiet. Nah, no worries. I mean, th this is good. This is what I was kind of hoping to to drum up. And when I was putting this one together, I was curious where we would take it. Like, I started listing out some thoughts around. You know, you, you get into the thoughts of like everybody's go to is well-polished requirements, which is a given. Um, but I, I really love the conversation around maintenance and the maintenance mindset. 
because as we were talking about that, it, it did, it brought back memories of, of over the years where it was always the rush to do something new. So you ended up with this situation where you had basically data hoarders, where it was always adding something new and not going back and checking and making sure that, hey, do we still need this old stuff? Is it valuable? Is are we not paying attention to the stuff that we use and there's data decay? Um, so that was was great to listen to. And then also just the 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 discussion around getting buy-in from development. You know, talking with you know, finding advocates in development that will find value in in what you're building. That is definitely something that is is overlooked because Jen, you you mentioned it that a lot of times development is just seen as as automatons. I love the word that you use there, whereas like pe people just throw Jira tickets at them, they they you know whatever system that they're using, um, and say, hey, here, just do this, and you know the the why is lost, and you know it's either done or it's deprioritized or it's a fight to get done. Um, so I mean, yeah, I mean that that's incredibly valuable. So. Other than than those two, and then also we we did briefly talk about, you know, getting getting the attention of executives. If if you were to think back to a client you've worked with in the past, and you're like, that was a top notch implementation. Um, what are some of the other characteristics that that you think of when when you think back to that? The the one thing that we haven't touched on that I think even some of the best implementations I don't, I don't think have excelled in this area, but have been better than others is, um, is documentation is, is some kind of Wikipedia, some kind of knowledge base on what is in, in place. Um, I, I would say for the vast majority, probably 90% plus of the companies I've worked with over the last, again, 20 years, very, very few of them, Put any thought into into documentation and so um there's a lot of wasted time in in redoing there's a lot of wasted time in miscommunication um and i think as part of a good sustainable implementation there has to be some sort of expectation for a baseline level um set of documentation i mean at a bare minimum some sort of change log um, oh goodness, yes. Right, because there's so many things that go wrong that just a simple change log could save so much anguish and hours and hours of trying to figure out what happened and just that simple thing is is rarely done. Well, and it's it's funny because just today um when I came across a a change that we're making for a client that should be improving things, but because things have been broken they've been using workarounds and those workarounds are going to break once things get fixed, if that makes sense. Um, so trying to figure out what, what workarounds need to be updated to include the new and better solution. Um, I go into this client, one of their main dashboards and um, looking at the data that seems to be most important and, and in use. And I spot the thing that will be broken by the changes we're making um, only because whoever was in there and created it, put a beautiful description on the segment and the workaround that they had in place and why the workaround was the way that it was. Um, 
And honestly, like, I don't know who did it. I thought maybe it was, it was John. Cause I know that he worked on that um, dashboard too, but he didn't know either. And I just want to go and give that person a hug. They saved me so much time <laughs> by just using that built-in functionality. You know, every segment you create, every component you use, every variable, you have the ability to add notes to it. You don't have to approach it as this huge Leviathan task of getting everything um, documented, though that is great. If you can get a complete solution design variable map and you know a confluence page about your data layer and like all that stuff is great. But even just starting with, hey, this might be the only note that we have anywhere in launch, but you got to start somewhere. Um, <laughs> you add, yeah, adding notes and using descriptions and things like that on your analytics components can be a great place to to get started save a lot of future headaches yeah yeah completely completely agree and i think um most of these tools that we work with um have that feature have that functionality and even if they mm -hmm. don't there's a lot that can be documented just within how we name things or set things up but i think a lot of times we're in we're in such a hurry or we feel so overwhelmed that it's like, we got to get to that next thing. And, you know, just taking literally 60 seconds to put some note in place is, is too much of a, of a burden. Um, and, and again, I think slowing down a little bit um, to do that, I think we need to, again, celebrate how much of these maintenance type activities, although they may be small in investment, end up being huge savings in the long run. Um, but I think we just, we don't. Um, and, and that probably leads to part of why it isn't done. I think if whoever left that note, or if we were, if we were more um, consistent in giving praise and feedback when we see those type of things, um, I think most people would want to do it. Cause again, we all like to get, we all like to get recognized. Yep. Well, then, Jason, like the then, you know, to that point, I would also then say we need to stop celebrating tagging everything, you know, yes. setting up data collection. We need to stop celebrating that because that is one of the things that creates the situation where people feel they need to rush and move on to the next thing. And they 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 don't document anything because it's all oh, we need to move on to the next one or we got this next thing to tag or it's not all done yet. So we need to keep moving. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, that that all or nothing mindset is is a huge part of the problem too of like a lot of people know that they need better documentation. It just seems like too big of a task to possibly get started on. Um, especially when you do you are rushed and, and everything. Um, but I, I do think in most cases you gotta start somewhere and it's okay if only one item gets documented because you had a moment like just it's okay if it's incomplete, just start. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an important point because I've been thinking about documentation and note-taking just in general. I, it's something I'm not great at and something I'm trying to do better. And I've got some private pages set up in, in Notion to try to do that for for myself. And I think, you, Jen, you brought up one of the huge mental stumbling blocks I have is that, well, I have to have this whole perfect system in place and do it perfectly all the time. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. And so when it's not, because it never is perfect and it's never set up perfectly to start, I give up. And it's like, well, I'm never going to get there. And so I think it's, it's, it's important that we recognize that we can start small. We can start with even a small framework. It's it's going to be in a gym. I think or Jim or Jen, you were mentioning this as I jump back on that 
these things are always evolving. We're not going to have it perfect and it should never be looked at as a static thing we do. It's going to evolve. And so start somewhere, you know, start putting in a, just a random note, you know, start to develop that, that habit. It has to start somewhere and it doesn't need to be this overly complicated, exhaustive system to start. You just sometimes just have to start. And it's okay if your change log starts today and yeah. doesn't include all of the historical anything because yeah. it's just it's got to start somewhere. And if you start it today, you'll be thanking yourself a few months down the line, you know? Absolutely. The visual that comes to mind when you're talking about just, just start taking notes. It doesn't have to be perfect. You don't need to spend all this time, you know, being exhaustive up front. Just start. It reminds me of when I was in eighth grade and got my first CD player. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, I got the CD player. I need to go out and get all of these CDs. No, you don't. It's, it's you, you know, you're going to slowly collect it over time. And next thing you know, you have this massive movie uh, music collection. Um, and it's, it, it's a parallel I draw with notes. Just get started somewhere, start adding them and yep. they will grow over time. Yep. It's funny because Jason just totally helped me realize why I keep using Apple Notes instead of everything else, it's because I feel like in Apple Notes, I can be messy and, and it's full of mistakes and half-written thoughts and all of that going back years and years and years. So like, to me, that's kind of the rough draft spot for notes mm. and I end up using it constantly. And then those notes never move into <laughs> Evernote, Notion, yeah. whatever. So, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Something to think about. Yeah, I, I definitely have the, if you can't get it 100% right, don't do it at all complex. And um, that can definitely hold you back. It's funny, actually, when I was transitioning off of, of a client that I had been on 40 hours a week for a few years, like it was, it was a big, big uh, full-time client for me for a while. And I was uh, handing it off to another Adobe consultant. And she actually printed out a thing that said, perfect is the enemy of good. Um, because she'd noticed about myself <laughs> that I frequently didn't finish things because it didn't seem good enough to, to keep doing. Um, and yeah, yeah, I do. I should probably reprint that and have it put somewhere because um, sometimes you just need to be good and not perfect, you know? Yeah. And I think it's something that afflicts uh, many of us at 33 sticks. We kind of all <laughs> have that, that mentality. And the one of, one of the things I remind people when I talk to them is that um, your, your mediocre is better than most people's best in this space. You know, we, we, we've collected a, a group of people that have an incredible amount of knowledge and experience, and we're very high perfectionist and not as an excuse not to push ourselves to do better. But sometimes I think it's important to remember that even on our off days, we're operating at an incredibly high level. Um, two weekends ago, I had this great conversation with my, with my brother-in-law, uh, we were up in Connecticut visiting and we were, you know, he, my father-in-law and I were doing a project with the jigsaw and, and the older kids. And he was telling this story of when he was living in California before he moved to Connecticut and he came across this woodworker and he was like, he's like, the guy was legally blind. You know, he just happened to see him in the workshop. I was out walking the dog. So I'm up to talk to him because he was kind of getting into a couple projects. And the guy was like, 
and for those watching the video, we'll see the hand gestures. He, he motioned like the, the, the gentleman did as when he was talking to him and he's like, he asked him like, what about this? What about this tool? What about that? He goes, oh, no, no, no. Here's what you need. And he starts gesturing. He feels things around. He goes, oh, here you need this. You need this. You need this. He goes, well, why don't I need this tool to get it just right? He's like, man, you're not making a clock. It does, <laughs> you know, it's not a clock. You're doing something with a cabinet. And when you think about it, what he means by it's not a clock is it doesn't have to be pinpoint precise. No one from like the Department of Weights and Measures is going to come in and make sure it is absolutely perfect. It could be flawed a bit. It's, you know, we're not talking like door hanging off a hinge, but it doesn't have to be extremely precise. And I keep trying to remind myself of that at times. Like it doesn't have to be a clock. It doesn't have to be a clock. It's you know, sometimes good is just what's needed. Perfect will, will actually be the problem. Yeah. And I, I like that analogy because it also means, you know, let's say you're building a cabinet and you do make a, a mistake on one side of it. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that the other side of it, it is not going to be perfect or like with a clock, all pieces have to be perfect. Yes. <laughs> um, whereas everything else, you you have a little bit of room to um, not be held down by your mistakes. Like, yeah, that, that mistake will just affect that one piece. And the rest we can continue on. Like a, a great analogy, Jen, going back to something you mentioned earlier, is about page names and working with the developer. You know, like there may already be page names. They may not be exactly what, say, someone laid out, but they can be perfect or they, they could work well enough that development doesn't have to go in and completely rebuild something for certain specific page names. Just, you know, just an idea. It's like, it's good enough. It's not a clock. Yep. Dig it. Totally. Getting, well, getting, is, oh, no. Oh, I was just going to say, because getting a page represented in a report with an identifier that works um, is, uh, more important than getting the page name that you wanted, but down the line, yeah, yeah that just driving that point home, I suppose. Yeah. That, um, I think it's it's the perfect example because yeah, like if you're not talking to your developers to go back and rehash that topic for a minute, if you're not talking with them and you're just sending in blind requests, they may feel that they have to completely re-implement something or rebuild something to surface that data where data that works just as well is already available and can speed things up. Yep. Yep. Perfect. Well, this has been fun. It, it's been great to, to get the three of us together again. It's been a while. Um, we're going to continue this topic next week. We're going to, to continue some of this. So um, not necessarily around implementation specifically, but, uh, but this just general theme. So any parting words before we wrap up? No, I mean, I, this is a, this has been a fun conversation and I think we hit on some, some big things and, um, in your recap, I think there's two or three things there that companies and people can get started on right away that aren't yeah. going to take a huge investment. That's what I was going to say is just, if you take anything away, just, there are small things that you can start doing now, um, that will pay off in the long run. You just got to start somewhere. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you both. And we'll mm -hmm. go ahead and wrap up for now. See you. Catch you later.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.